This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Eye Daddy. This week on the show, host of Daily Variety on Variety.com, Audrey Cleo Yap, and senior entertainment writer for Variety, Adam B. Barry. All right, let's start the show. How many times can we say variety this episode? I, Let's well, try. Yeah, Go ahead. Make it a drinking game. Uh, well, I work at Variety, and I also write for Variety.com. Nice. And it gives me a variety of options <laughs> to, put my, uh, to put my content in. And you also work at Variety, I, right? I work at Variety. I do a variety of things. I host daily variety for Variety.com. I write for Variety.com. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, there's a lot she of wins. variability and a lot of variety <laughs> within my job. We're going to talk about a variety of things today on this show. It's been a minute from NPR. So to our listeners and our guests, I say happy weekend. Thanks for being here. I am Sam Sanders, joined this weekend in studio with two guests. Audrey Cleo Yap, host of Daily Variety on Variety.com. Adam B. Very, senior entertainment writer for Variety. Thank you both for being here on what's going to be a busy weekend for you both. You're covering some little award show called the Oscars this weekend. Mm. A little mm-hmm. local award show. Yeah. yeah. A local award show. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of it. I, I may have. Yeah. I may have. Uh, so thanks for your time this weekend. We're going to talk about the Oscars more. But first, I want to talk about the last big pop culture event of the moment, uh, the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Feels mm-hmm. like it just happened, huh? <laughs> God, that, it feels like so long ago. Right? That's crazy. I um did not watch, but I went back and watched the highlights and the halftime show afterward. Yeah. But what I found the most interesting in all of the Super Bowl hoopla and the spectacle that it is was not the game itself, not even the halftime show. It was the show they played after the game this year. Do you know what the post-show <laughs> yes. show was? Yes. What was it? The Masked Singer! Which is just a banana show. But there was something that happened on the special post-Super Bowl mass Singer that literally blew me away. You have to hear it. We have the tape. Yeah. I was born, I am the chosen, I'm the Do you know who that's singing that song? I have come to save the day. This was a comedian, right? No. No? This was someone in a robot costume horribly covering the classic Lenny Kravitz song, Are You Gonna Go My Way? Kevin Hart? It's a rapper. Lil Wayne. Oh my God, it's Lil Wayne. Oh my God. (laughs) Lil Wayne. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Lil Wayne! Can I just tell you, 23.7 million people watched this thing. Yeah. This show was so popular, they've already rushed out a third season it's sweeping. More people watch The Masked Singer than any of the impeachment proceedings. I mean, I, I The Masked Singer, every single time I, I, I get even a little glimpse of it, I feel like I'm in one of those dystopian sci-fi movies yes. from the 90s. That yes. Pre- like, this is the crazy show that the people in the future are watching, mm-hmm. and, and, and we are. It feels like a Black That's Mirror episode. Yeah. It, re- it was a Black Mirror episode, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> I don't know why. All right, going to start the show as we always do, asking my panelists to describe their week of news in only three words. They both have come prepared to talk about Little Wayne's career. Let's go. 
<laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. Yeah. Uh, because we're in L.A. and because both my panelists work for a magazine that covers the film industry, among yeah. other things, this week's three words, both of you, are all about the Oscars. Mm-hmm. This show happens this Sunday, and because Oscars, there is no way that they could take place without people being pissed off about something the Academy has or has not done. Uh, this year, there's fallout over most of the acting nominees being white and all of the nominees for directing being men. But, Adam, and, and we'll start with you for your three words. Okay. You uh, told me this week that um, this isn't as bad as previous years? <laughs> no, it isn't. I mean, I, I, my three words, I, I mean, there's so many different ways in here. I think for me, for the Oscars this Sunday, my three words are can Bong win? Um, this is this Bong. is Bong Joon Ho. He's the director of Parasite, the best reviewed film of the year. The best reviewed film of the year. He's nominated for best director. His film is nominated for best picture. It's the first South Korean film ever to get a best international film nomination, which used to be best foreign language film. And then it also falls the first South Korean film to ever get a best picture nomination. There's a very good chance it could, he could win best picture. I would love that. And it'll like be the first foreign language film to ever win best picture. But um, it, 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 Generally speaking, that is the one question mark this year in what has been a very chill, very sort of like relatively chill, I should say relatively chill award season in comparison to last year, which was cuckoo bananas between Green Book and the popular Oscar and uh, Kevin Hart. Oh, that was all in one year? All in one year. I remember Green Book. That's the gift that keeps giving, the meme that keeps giving. So, So then... If this year has some problems, but not as big of problems as previous years or last year, what are your predictions uh, for the awards that night? To me, the the the, the four acting categories are very clearly we know who's going to win. Um, it's like the, the, the list who's going to win them. Renee Zellweger is going to win Best Actress for for Judy. Um, did anybody watch Judy? Walking, I did, and I loved it. Okay, walking, okay. walking. Wow, shade. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix is going to win Best Actor for Joker. Yeah. Laura Dern's going to win Best Supporting Actress for Marriage Story. And Brad Pitt is going to win Best Supporting Actor for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, there could be a surprise upset, mm-hmm. but those four actors have been lockstep winning every precursor award there is. Yeah. In terms of the ongoing anger over the diversity or lack thereof in some of these categories, like this year, 19 out of 20 acting noms went mm-hmm. to white people. Will this ever get better? Like, you both have been covering this for a long time, and it feels like we've had the same conversation every year. Yeah, I think this year, I mean, what was interesting is after the back-to-back Oscar So White debacles, Mm -hmm. it did feel like the Academy and then the sort of awards industrial complex around the Oscars, the the campaign, people who run the campaigns. It's a big deal. Like, months of campaigning, millions spent, sometimes with tens of millions, small films. The budget to campaign is more than the budget for the film. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and then the people that are in our jobs who mm-hmm. cover this stuff, they all paid closer attention to movies with people of color and movies directed by women. Mostly, like, you know, this is how a movie like Moonlight got best got as many nominations as it did. Yeah. I think if Moonlight had come out earlier in that decade... Before Oscar So White. Before Oscar So White. It might have gotten like a screenplay and a Best Supporting Actor nomination, but people's unconscious bias would have overlooked it for other things. It would have been that nice that nice sort of like small movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just think that people got more 
aware of their own unconscious bias. Post Oscar so white. Post Oscar so white. And then this year, for I think a whole host of reasons, they people just got a little less. Uh, people got lazy. Yeah, got lazy. Yeah. So they, like that, we, like, that awareness start, has like worn off. Like yeah. Moonlight was only three years ago, uh-huh. and now we're here. Yeah. And look at who is being nominated. Yeah. So I would argue that unconscious bias really applies to only a certain population. <laughs> um, because yeah. hashtag Oscars, so what, ha- hashtag Oscars have been white <laughs> yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Well, and yeah. And, and like hearing you say that, there are some really interesting numbers this week about the Academy of Voters that select who gets these Oscars. So after Oscars So White blew up years ago, uh, the Academy said, we're going to add more members mm-hmm. to make it more diverse. Mm-hmm. They added literally hundreds of members. And when they began that process, the Academy was 92% white in 2015 mm-hmm. and 75% male. After all the work they did to add hundreds of people. Thousands. Thousands, yeah. Today, the Academy is 84% white and 68% male. Yeah. They just have so much more work to... It's it's so big of a problem. It's going to take so long to solve it. Yeah. So the parasite actors being completely overlooked speaks to a very insidious uh, stereotype about just Asian mm-hmm. actors, Asian people in general, that mm. they're just all the same. Mm. Ooh, and, yes. yeah. and that they, we can just lump them together. Our outlet was called out for that oh, really? uh, on social media. What yeah, happened? because we could because we could name... Joe Keery and Michael Monroe on the carpet of SAG. But then when the Parasite cast walks up and makes a speech, we can't name Park So Dom. We can't mm. name Song Kang Ho. Mm. And it again, it go, it, this is just systemic. Yeah. It's, and yet we it can starts... name Scarlett Johansson twice <laughs> for two nominations. Exactly. Two so it is incumbent on not yeah. maybe not just the industry, but, but, but who's in your newsroom. Exactly. Yep. On that note... What are your three words? My three words are all the shade. <laughs> okay. All right. Is, is this from you towards me, towards no, Adam? No, never towards either of you. No, not at all. But but kind of all the shade that we have been hearing from people subtly or not so subtly in, in this uh, awards industrial complex. Okay. And then the weeks leading up to Sunday. Okay. So back in the fall, it was Bong Juno who was like, this uh, is the uh, Parasite director. Director of Parasite, who called the Oscars a local show. And, and I missed that. that. Wait, yeah. what? He, did. he said great. that the Oscars are very, it's a very, it's Good not an him. international show. This it's is not. a very local show. Okay. And I don't know, you know, it, I don't. I don't know what the intent was, or the, you know, the behind it. But yeah. he's accurate. He's, but it's he's, an accurate statement. It's yeah. a very. Ma- yeah. It was very, very matter of fact. And then also at the Golden Globes, you know, once you overcome the one inch tall barrier of subtitles, you'll be introduced to so many more amazing films. He said that. He's like you, dumb Americans. Yeah. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Joaquin Phoenix accepting his BAFTA for Joker. Yeah, uh, this BAFTA's, is crazy. BAFTA didn't have any nominees of color, and he said it's really incumbent on. People like him, white people who have built this this system of Mm. racism in the industry to dismantle it. And from what we heard from our reporters abroad who were in the room, it was just like you could hear a pin drop. Uh, I think that we send a very clear message to people of color that you're not welcome here. Um, I think that's the message that we're sending to people that have contributed uh, so much to our medium and our industry and in ways that we benefit from. 
His energy in that statement reminded me of when Kanye said that George Bush doesn't care about black people. You could tell he was like, this is my truth, but he was nervous. Oh, he was nervous. He He left his BAFTA on the podium. Really? Yes, I'm pretty sure he like he forgot to take it with him. He walked off. The BAFTA was sitting there on the podium like, what did I do? And he's like, the BAFTA's like, I'm not white. Yeah. (laughs) So what does this moment mean, Audrey? I mean, like, it seems like a powerful statement to hear from this very very powerful white man to this room full of white people, hey, fix it. But do those statements really change these bigger systems? Well, I will give him credit, and you can hear it in his voice, right? It was There was some apprehension. There was some nerves. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to tackling something as overwhelming and systemic and enormous as systemic racism, talking about it and getting uncomfortable is like, the least amount of effort yeah. that you can thing. do. It's yeah. the first thing you have. Yeah, to but do. it's the least yeah. amount of effort exactly. that you can invest. Being uncomfortable is is not okay. So then, what are you going to do what about, are you doing it? about it? Yeah, well, because, yeah. The thing about the Oscars that I always kind of grapple with is like whether we should just stop caring at all. Like, what does an Oscar matter? Make your movie, make your money. Uh, but I'm always reminded that for a lot of people. Once you get an Oscar, it opens doors for your career, especially if you're like a director who wins Best Director. From then on, for the rest of your career, any studio will pay for your movie. It, it, like, it just opens doors in a way that is financial. And, 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 we, and, and I think we often forget about that, right? It's sort of it's interesting. It can kind of cut both ways. There's also been the sort of like best supporting actress curse, where a lot of uh, women who win an Oscar for best supporting actress or for best actress end up sort of not then working a lot after. The you know even a nomination though for a filmmaker can make a huge difference. Barry Jenkins's career exploded after the success of Moonlight, both the movie itself, but then also its Oscar recognition for sure. Yeah. So it can it really can help a career enormously and. I also think it helps shine a light on a movie that might not otherwise get attention, like Moonlight. Yeah, um, which and, made a lot of money after the whole Oscars yeah. situation. Exactly. No, and there are yeah. really uh, tangible things uh, on the line for filmmakers and for performers. But if filmmakers and creatives of color keep getting shut out, I think Ava DuVernay said something along the lines of, it's not that you don't care, but it's like you have to calibrate how much you care. Mm -hmm. And Jeffrey Wright was also making that point on Twitter as well, the actor Jeffrey Mm -hmm. Wright. You know, he was talking about like the work doesn't change if it doesn't get nominated. The the Farewell is still an incredible film. Yeah. You know, the actors in Parasite are still give insanely great performances. It's just uh, a matter of whether or not a certain group of people decide that they want to give it a great deal of recognition. If the Oscars wanted to accurately reflect American pop culture in its fullness right now, (laughs) they would give Lil Wayne, a.k.a. The Robot, (laughs) an Oscar. (laughs) Do it now. Do it now. All right. Time for a break. Coming up. Iowa is maybe almost over. But next week comes New Hampshire. After the break, we will talk with two college students from Virginia who visited New Hampshire for a political science class just before next week's vote. And they had a lot to say about that state's lack of diversity. Why don't you guys give other states the chance to be as civically engaged? It got heated. More on that trip and the fallout. After the break, you are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor Chobani Oat. 
Made to taste just like milk, it's creamy, frothy, and great with coffee and cookies. But without the dairy, because it's not milk, it's almost milk. New Chobani Oat. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. It's Oscar season, and we don't want you to show up on the red carpet unprepared. That's why NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour is here to help you sort through the nominees and separate the best from the rest. Listen now, and we might even help you dominate your Oscars pool. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I am Sam Sanders, joined in studio at NPR West by Adam B. Very, senior entertainment writer for Variety, and Audrey Cleo Yap, host of Daily Variety on Variety.com. How close are y'all's cubicles in the Variety office? Like 10 feet apart. Yeah, we're not even. <laughs> maybe five feet? I don't know. We could, like, run into each other with yeah. our seats. Yeah. For it. sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, before we get to our next segment i gotta ask y'all on a level of one to 12 how crazy was iowa this week 12 13 <laughs> 25 so i can't believe we're still talking about it. it's still not done they still don't actually know who won the ap still can't call it as of friday yes. morning um the ap gave up the ap was like we are yeah we're, we're done. going to new hampshire they clapped out done. they just were yeah. like no we're done and so like as crazy as it is to know that iowa's not really really done we also know that next week this thing starts over again in New Hampshire. Do they have an app? <laughs> <laughs> the company that developed the app for Iowa is called Shadow. Oh my that has, God. that is Sean, that's a Shonda screenplay. That's a screenplay that Shonda's like that's too that's too much. That's too, too on the far. nose. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. So, I want to talk about New Hampshire because in many ways New Hampshire has a lot in common with Iowa. New Hampshire has the first primary next week. And like Iowa, it's a pretty, pretty white state. Uh, recently, I talked to two students at Virginia Commonwealth University. Hello, how are you both? We're, We're doing good. good. Good, good. Thanks for being here. Their names are Taraje Jenkins uh, and Kelsey Rudd. Taraje's a freshman. Kelsey is a senior. They're both black women. They are both political science students at VCU. And they both spent a week in New Hampshire recently. Uh, here, Kelsey speaks first right now. We went for a class about the New Hampshire primary. So we were pretty much studying, like, political campaigns and how it worked, as well as volunteering for the campaigns, too, on okay. top of seeing presidential town halls and just being involved in the political process there. So my team first found Taraji and Kelsey by hearing them on this podcast called Stranglehold from New Hampshire Public Radio. They're in episode 12. And the podcast is all about New Hampshire's first in the nation primary status. And the thing about New Hampshire that comes up in this podcast and every discussion about New Hampshire is how white that state is. It is 93% white. Uh, so clearly this state is involved in this growing controversy about which states get to hold primaries and caucuses first. And what 
that means for the debate and for what issues are covered and how. Uh, so these two students had a lot of thoughts about all of it. So you're going to hear our chat right now. And as a heads up, one of our guests says the N-word in this conversation, and we're going to leave it in unbleeped. All right, here's our chat. So you get to New Hampshire. What is what you see compared to what you thought you'd see? <laughs> you want to be honest? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was like I seen like nobody that looked like me there. That's the first thing I noticed. So no black people. I got off the plane and I was like, oh, snap. There's like nobody here that looks like me. <laughs> but you knew that beforehand, right? Or no? Um, no. Oh, <laughs> yes, but no. I didn't know anything about New Hampshire. But yeah, there's nobody besides... <laughs> The three on the trip. Yeah. There yeah. was three like of y'all me. on the trip who were black. Yeah. Well, yeah. It seems like y'all are having two experiences. On the one mm-hmm. hand, being in New Hampshire, taking part in politics on the ground is fun. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you keep seeing this racial disparity. There are just like no black people and no brown people. And yeah. y'all end up having an episode in this podcast, Stranglehold. Where you confront some New Hampshire folks about this problem. I want to play some of that tape. Uh, This is from the podcast Stranglehold from New Hampshire Public Radio. And y'all end up talking with the guy in New Hampshire. Secretary of State. Secretary of State. What's his name? Bill Gardner. Yeah. Bill Gardner, who was in charge of and responsible for New Hampshire coming first. Uh, I want to play some of the audio so you guys can hear it back. New Hampshire, New Hampshire has the highest turnout because y'all are getting personal um, connection with these presidential candidates, but you're not allowing other states to get these personal connections as early as you guys are. So do you get what I mean, if you don't have an answer, that's also okay, but I'm saying... Well, the New answer Hampshire. is that mm-hmm. uh, you cannot recreate mm-hmm. what exists in New Hampshire mm-hmm. in another state. Yes, you can. But what if you give other states that are more diverse socioeconomically, racially, religious-wise, if you give them the opportunity, wouldn't you think that they'll be more civically engaged and have higher voter turnout rates as well? And maybe they can also build up the political um, Well, I don't think that will automatically result in higher voter turnout. Over time? So, so okay, so, so, so flashback oh, to that moment. Was, that was you, Taraj, right? Yeah. <laughs> How'd you feel in that moment? Oh, I wouldn't say I was angry. You were. You weren't. Oh, not even oh, a little bit. Come on, tell the truth. Okay, I was. I was. <laughs> I was very angry. Okay. I mean, I would say a lot of the students they were very angry and like he's not answering our questions and nobody in New Hampshire is answering our questions. We were frustrated. I would say more frustrated than angry, more annoyed than angry as well. When I would tell him like. You know, there's no black people pretty much here. And we were talking about voter suppression. And this whole thing was, oh, that's a hoax that, oh, we let Jackie Robinson play baseball here. So that's why, you know, Jackie we should Robinson have first was in like the nation. a very long time ago. Yeah. Exactly. Was what this official was telling you the same thing you would hear from just everyday New Hampshire citizens if you asked them the same kind of questions about race and why New Hampshire's first? Somewhat. Um... Like New Hampshire voters and stuff, we would, I maybe only asked one of them and they were just like, oh, I mean, we have the best political culture here pretty much. That's all they would say. So, How do you feel about that response? Does it make sense to you? Um, no. The only reason I would say that it makes sense is because they're able to meet all the presidents and stuff like that. So, of course, they would have a better political culture than that of 
people in Virginia or California or people who doesn't have first in the nation or or, um, you know, the first caucus. So I get why their political culture would be a little bit more enhanced. But I think that other states can also copy that. Yeah. And they they talked about having like it's a privilege for them to be here. Mm-hmm. It's a privilege. And I'm like, no, y'all are getting that because y'all are privileged. Mm-hmm. Like y'all don't understand yeah. that the only reason this is a thing here is because First y'all are white. Hard. Like mm-hmm. it's easier to campaign in a state where you don't have to worry about all the different issues and things because if our group did not ask about uh, the criminal justice system or immigration. Nobody would address it. No, not at all. Mm-mm. Like the top three issues were like college tuition, universal pre-K and social security. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, so then, OK, the trip has been done for how long now? Um, Two, three weeks. Two, three weeks. Knowing all that y'all have just told me and experienced on this trip, would you say overall it was a good or bad experience? It was wonderful. <laughs> it was it was a it was a great experience. I mean, it had its bad experiences. Like, for instance, when I was um, canvassing with for Bernie Sanders in Concord. Oh. Also, pause real quick. They let y'all just canvas for all kinds of different people. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. get to pick uh, the candidates that we wanted to um, volunteer for pretty much. Okay. So but I, like, you I volunteered for more than one person. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Corey, Joe Biden, and Bernie Sanders. You were saying that you had a bad experience while canvassing for Bernie. What happened? I was in Concord with um, one of the other classmates. Her name was Jeanette. She's Latina. So we were canvassing. We were walking down the street in a neighborhood in Concord. And these two young white boys pretty much yelled across the street and called me a nigger. And really? my Jeanette was like, did you hear them? And I was like, no. So we turned back and looked at them and they said it again. And it just kept like on to walking. to your face. Yeah. And then they said F off. And that was it. And I was just like, but me being me, I decided to knock on their door because I'm like, I'm going to kill this for Bernie. <laughs> I was like, so I'm you go to the door and knock on it? Yeah, I go to the door that I thought they were at. And then I went to the other door that I thought they were at and nobody answered. But I mean, I knew they were in there. How do you make sense of that? Like you're in this state that is full of these really nice white people who mm-hmm. overall welcome you to New Hampshire for 10 days. Yeah. But also there's that. I wasn't surprised. That's why I decided to pick one of my white classmates to go with. Just because, <laughs> I mean, I, I was a Girl Scout. You have to know how to sell people. I also canvassed for Bernie Sanders. So I made sure that my partner was a white woman. So it just people would answer the door. How old are y'all? 18. I'm 21. Okay, 18 and 21. In mm-hmm. the year 2020, y'all are experiencing this. How does that make you feel about, like, the state of the country? I feel like I always knew it was like this. (laughs) Thanks again to Tarajay Jenkins and Kelsey Rudd, two students at Virginia Commonwealth University. They were featured on the podcast Stranglehold from New Hampshire Public Radio. Adam, Audrey, what do we make of this? Those kids were so bold. I liked it. What really stood out to me was just you can hear the frustration and kind of the emotional labor of two women of color explaining 
their existence, explaining mm-hmm. their life experience and why they are seeing certain things a certain way. Yeah. And then with the Jackie Robinson comment, just be <sighs> completely gaslighted into like, well, we have that. Like, that happened like, decades ago. That happened. Yeah. So, you know, we're good. Yeah. And, and, yeah. He, might and, have, he might as well have said, you know, Lincoln freed the slaves. We're fine. <laughs> I'm, it's, it's, it kind of feels like the Oscars so white thing. It does. And I think it also speaks to a lot I mean even my own personal experiences as an Asian American woman having to explain my point of view and and just kind of like at some point and I hope they never get to this point but I think as you get older and it and you know you just some 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 battles you are just not meant you get to tired. win you get tired yeah. Yeah. it is extra labor for yes. someone in that position to constantly constantly explain. I mean, it was it was remarkable to me that they went through this this very frustrating experience that I was frustrated listening to. And then at the end, you asked them, how did you feel about it? And they're like, it was great. We loved oh, it. Yeah. And it was I so, it was like, the, New Hampshire and our political system is lucky for that enthusiasm and that optimism. I would say also that I hope the conversation continues, but then I hope action follows. Yeah. Conversation again yes. The, it's the it's, it's, it's tip the, of the iceberg. It's tip of the iceberg. It's the it's the entryway. Now yeah. let's see where you carry. Once that. you say things, do things. Let's, yeah. There you go. On that note, we're going to do something really fun after the break. Play my favorite game. It's called Who Said That. Yes. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor Discover. Here's a familiar situation: You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how a new study aims to impact an underrepresented community. My greatest hope for the Voices of Black Women study is that it will help us understand and identify culturally tailored ways to change and really eliminate the unacceptable disparities for future generations of Black women as it relates to cancer. To learn more, go to voices.cancer.org. Women in America have long vied for the highest political office, the presidency. This week on Throughline, how things have changed and not for female presidential candidates throughout American history. Throughline from NPR, the podcast where we go back in time to understand the present. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I am Sam Sanders with two guests. Audrey Cleo Yap, host of Daily Variety on Variety.com. Adam V. Very, senior entertainment writer for Variety. Variety, Variety, Variety. I think we hit 50 times to say Variety. (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all, now it's time for my favorite game, Who Said That? Who said that? Who said that? I got to say, this week is a little hard. Oh, God. It's fine. Okay. It's We're fine. entertainment reporters, Sam. <laughs> and you're very entertaining. You are, both I of know. you. <laughs> I know. I know. Could you imagine what it's like to sit near me? I mean. <laughs> a joy and a pleasure. It's amazing. Uh-huh. So this game is very simple. I share three quotes from the week. You guess who said it or what I'm talking about. The winner gets no prize. There are also no buzzers. Just yell it out. 
Shall we? Okay. We shall. First quote, just guess what we're talking about here. Okay. Each of the bubble-like granules of convecting plasma seen here are roughly the size of Texas. Is that about the sun? Yes. You were close, Adam. I could see it, but how did you got it? The sun. Yes, the sun, the surface of which is incredibly hot and violent, is yes. what I kept yes. reading. <laughs> so that quote actually comes from Scientific American describing these new photos of the surface of the sun. This week, the National Science Foundation revealed some really detailed images of the sun's surface, and it looks edible. Have y'all seen it? No. I learned, I learned about like this. Like it's a Tide Pod? <laughs> no, it looks like a, like a peanut candy. Don't eat Tide oh. Pods. God, they're so cute. If though. you just season the Tide Pod, it's fine. <laughs> oh, my God. Makes I want sense. y'all to see the sun. It looks like some peanut brittle candy. Oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> that's that's an unpleasant image. You, wait, y'all did that disturb like y'all? It looks like terrible, like you got a bad dry skin patch or something. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. The sun has eczema. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't make either of you look at more images of photos of the surface of the sun. Next quote. Guess uh, who yeah. said this? Oh, dear. I don't need any lessons from anyone, especially the president of Nancy the United Pelosi. States, about dignity. Yes. Damn. Yeah. I've lost. It's okay. I'll just <laughs> on it. So this full quote from Nancy Pelosi reads, I don't need any lessons from anyone, especially the president of the United States, about dignity. She was talking about criticism she has received since State of the Union because at the end of that speech... In the chamber, right behind President Trump, she ripped up text of his speech. Yeah, I was that and was, wow that and the metal. She was just freedom. making it easier for the recycling later. <laughs> it's easier that's, to shred. Yeah. Haven't you ever shredded anything? It was. You just yeah. you yeah. tear it up. Uh-huh. It's easier to shred. Yeah, it's very, yeah. It was yeah. Very green of her. I just love. I mean, well, also I they didn't even like, shake hands when the speech started. No, and I oh. think that's where the bad vibes started. And then uh, I would say the bad vibes go well, away. Yes, <laughs> yes, no, correct. You're you're absolutely correct. But I think for that evening, the vibe just went down. She didn't do the traditional introduction for yeah. him and it was just like we're gonna be messy oh final quote this is this is a hard one it's fine it's it's hard but it's okay i love keychains they look good on my backpack this was the feel-good story of the week it oh is. it's the kid who made keychains to pay off all of his uh all of the, oh, the, the lunch debt yeah. yes yes this was the most beautiful story. Eight-year-old Keani Ching, he's from Vancouver, Washington. He wanted to do something nice for Kindness Week at his school. He decided to help get rid of school lunch debt for his classmates. He began to make and sell keychains for five bucks a pop. He sold 300 keychains with help from his parents and grandparents. And last week, he gave his school, Benjamin Franklin Elementary, a check for just over $4,000. It covers all the costs of lunch debt at his school and six others, plus it puts some money in reserve. And he says he was inspired by the San Francisco 49ers player Richard Sherman, who has given some $27,000 to pay off school lunch debt. It's a good kid. I have a different feeling about that story. Okay. It's, it, I mean, it's really lovely that he put that effort in, that he shouldn't have to be working to pay off lunch debt for other kids. You know, I think that those kids shouldn't have the idea that there is such a thing as lunch debt. Well, you know, for what's crazy children's about, lunches is insane. Well, what's crazy about lunch debt is that in some school districts, if your family or your parents don't pay your lunch debt, you don't get to go to school events like prom or homecoming. That that kid should be, you know, saving up to buy it himself like a PlayStation 4. 
that's why he that's what he should be selling keychains for at that age. He should not have to be burdened with relieving the lunch debt of his fellow students. I mean, I, I was very heartened by his effort, but yeah. the but the larger story to me was horrifying. I can see that. Yeah, this that's what uh, I have to yeah. say about that. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, the game is over. Audrey, you won. I totally won. won. I have redeemed myself. This is the first time we have a winner and a loser going back to the same newsroom. Is it going to be tense? Terribly. Oh, oh you can get oh, through it. Oh, we'll be fine. <laughs> sure. We'll be fine. Are your fingers crossed, Audrey? What? As you say that? <laughs> fingers are uncrossed. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Congratulations to you. That concludes Who Said That. All right, now it's time to end the show as we do every week. We ask our listeners to share with us the best things that have happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. They do. Let's listen. Hey, Sam. The best part of my week is to go to ballet class with my six-year-old daughter, Iris. She's taking children's class, and I'm taking adult class. We both had fun. Hi, Sam. My name is Becky Bloom. And the best thing that happened this past week is that I won the spelling bee in my office. The best thing that happened to me this week was confirming that I will be going to grad school at University of Michigan. I had successfully lowered my cholesterol in three months. Over the weekend, I turned 30. The 20s are an overrated decade, and I am so looking forward to my 30s. The best part of my week was watching my son graduate from high school, and next week he will be preparing for the Army. Hi, Sam. This is Kristen from Orlando, Florida, and the best part of my week was seeing pole dancing in the Super Bowl. I'm a pole dancer, and it was amazing to see pole represented in such a mainstream event. The best thing about my week has been rediscovering a lost song that I had lost from the 90s. I could never remember the title or the artist, but I heard it mentioned this week on It's Been a Minute. The title, Love Thy Will Be Done. I've had it on repeat all week. Thanks, Sam. This week, we celebrated my dad's 60th birthday with our entire family. Perhaps the best moment was when my dad realized how good my brother was at singing karaoke. And he teared up, and I think it was a culmination of him sharing this milestone with his family and also learning about his son's talents. Okay, thanks. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Bye. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. Representation for pole dancers. Yeah. That is... It's a big deal. <laughs> that, yeah. Big pole That's energy. awesome. Big pole energy. Big pole energy. Into <laughs> it. Into it. Into it. Thanks to, Yes. Thanks to all the folks you heard there. Iris and her mom doing the ballet. Becky, Brenton, Barb, Santiago, Anne-Marie and her son going off to the military. Best of luck. Best wishes. Uh, Kristen, Lisa, and Danielle. Listeners, thank you for sending those in. We love them. Keep them coming. Just record yourself and send that voice file to me at samsanders at npr.org at any point throughout any week. Okay? Just do it. Thank you. All right, one last announcement before we go. I have a Spotify playlist to tell you about. Here on my show, we have talked to the likes of Cromwell Brown and Jonathan Van Ness, two members of the Fab Five from the show Queer Eye from Netflix. Uh, my NPR colleague, Ophira Eisenberg, has also interviewed some folks uh, from that show, including Anthony and Tan France. And we put all those interviews together in one playlist on Spotify. It is called Queer Eye Podcast from NPR. Search Spotify for those words, Queer Eye Podcast from NPR, and you can hear them all. All right, thanks to my panelists this week, Audrey Cleo Yap, host of Daily Variety on Variety.com, and Adam B. Very, senior entertainment writer for Variety. 
Y'all offered a wonderful variety of perspective today. <laughs> I really appreciate you both for being here. Your variety welcome. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, This Week It's Been a Minute was produced by Brent Bachman, Anjali Sastry, Danny Hensel, and Janae West, who just joined this team. Welcome, Janae. Promise to not drive you too crazy. Our intern is Hafsa Fatima. We forgive her for eating Cap'n Crunch cereal in the office every day. Our engineers are Steve McClintock and Josh Newell. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss is NPR Senior VP of Programming, Anya Grunman. Listeners, till next time, thank you for listening. Little Wayne, we love you. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.